Last week, or it would have been two weeks ago now, we talked about Jesus' baptism. And so if you remember, we talked about how all of us as Christians enter into Jesus' baptism when we are baptized to become members of the people of God and to be adopted as sons and daughters and included in the Holy Family and also that we are empowered by receiving the Holy Spirit just as Jesus received the Holy Spirit on that day when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And we talked about how that was a retelling of the story of Israel. It was a retelling of the story of how God was saving his people. God had saved his people through entering the Jordan River so many years before in the book of Joshua. And now God is saving his people by bringing them through the waters of baptism so they can become members of his family and members of his kingdom. So the one thing we don't always talk a lot about is the Holy Spirit, and in particular, um, spiritual gifts. Now, that's something that um, I don't know if I've heard a sermon on that or not. I think maybe once I had a pastor who preached on spiritual gifts whenever I was younger, because I remember that in the bulletin there was something that you filled out after each sermon, and it would tell you if that gift was something that you were gifted in. And I remember that from that spiritual gift uh, sermon series, my dad started teaching Sunday school because he must have been told that he had a gift of teaching. And he did not have a lot of patience, and he was in my class, and I was pretty rambunctious. So, uh, and I did not like my dad teaching my class because it meant we couldn't get away with stuff we usually got away with. But um, I think that he was frustrated So I don't know if this has been your experience. Have you tried to figure out your spiritual gift? You've been told that these are the spiritual gifts and you have to fit into this list. Um, Maybe you've taken one of those surveys and you've been encouraged or discouraged because you feel like that doesn't really reflect who you are. You're trying to figure it out and it doesn't fit. So what is up with these spiritual gifts? Well, first and foremost, we're going to see that when it comes down to the Holy Spirit, What's most important is that the Holy Spirit brings us together. The Holy Spirit brings us together. Now, the way that we see this is that Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, which is another reading for this Sunday that we don't read in the service. So if you want to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, we're going to look at this together. I don't have the Pew Bible number. So if someone wants to turn there and shout it out, that's fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11. So we're going to start in verse 1. I'll start reading. So this is how Paul Paul opens this, this first verse of chapter 12. He says, Now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there's a couple of things about this first verse that we have to actually take a look at. First, gifts of the Spirit is how the NIV has chosen to translate the word there. That's a Greek word. Now, that is actually not what the word means. The word simply means spiritual, and because of the way it's used, it's used, so it probably means concerning spiritual things. So that's what it should be. 
Now, the reason they put spiritual gifts is because based on the passage, they're interpreting backwards, but we don't want to do that. Because Paul says, okay, concerning spiritual things. Now, I want to talk to you about things spiritual. Now, this distinction matters because we need to understand that the Corinthian church was almost all converts from non-Jewish religions. So they would have been um, just Roman and Greek people. So they would have had a very diverse religious background. So understanding what's happening in the Corinthian church, we need to understand what they would have been thinking about spiritual things. All right? So for us, to, this is a way to think about it. So anywhere in the United States, when we talk about football... We mean football. The awesome sport where two, our 22 men go head-to-head to move a little oblong ball down a field into an, an area that's a scoring zone. So that's football, right? But now if you go anywhere else in the world, football isn't football. It's soccer, right? The actual foot that you, the sport you actually play with your feet, that you kick a ball around into a netted goal, So here in the United States, when we say football, we mean football, and we know that. But if we were to talk to someone from Europe or South America or even Latin America, anywhere else, when we say football, they would think we're talking about soccer. So when Paul talks about spiritual things with the Corinthian people, he means football is football. But first he has to make sure that they don't think that football is soccer. He has to make sure they need to understand that what he's talking about isn't what they thought it used to be when they were not Christians. So this is how Paul continues that in verse 2. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So he says that when you were pagan, so what does this mean? Now I didn't really know what the word pagan meant. Like I heard it, it just felt weird. Um, so I was looking. Turns out, again, pagan actually isn't the, even the, the Greek word. The Greek word simply means nations. So if it's used in the very general sense, it means a people group or a nation, like we would say country. But the Jewish people started to use this ver- word very specifically to talk about non-Jewish people. So people who weren't part of the people of God were the nations, So the reason the word pagan is used is because it very clearly identifies those people as non-Christian. But I don't think it's helpful because nowadays people claim pagan is a religion when it used to just be a generic distinction of people who weren't Christian. But what Paul is saying is while you were not Christians, you were led astray by mute idols. Now the mute idols are simply gods that could not fulfill the promises they made. Uh, they were gods that, that the, the Corinthian people would pray to and try to uh, ask for or even please or um, another word, I don't know if this is a word people know, but I had a professor use it all the time. They try to placate them because they were always angry. So the only way to keep them a little bit happy or not angry was to give them sacrifices and prayers and things. So Paul said that when you were non-Christians, you were trying to worship these idols and you were influenced them by them, but they led you astray because they never answered. 
So the background of the Corinthian people was that they were always praying to these mute idols. And that's their spiritual heritage before they became Christians. But just like the Corinthians, our own culture has these sorts of spiritual ideas that we sort of buy into that we don't even know about. These mute idols of our own culture that we think influence us that they don't really. So uh, I think one of these is karma. Now karma is a religious thing um, from Hinduism. But we in our culture talk about karma as simply if you get what you deserve. So if you do good things, good things will happen. And if you're doing bad things, karma is going to catch up with you. So that is a religious idea, even though we might not think about it that way. Another one, uh, we've talked about these recently, horoscopes and astrology. Now, depending on your background, you might not really be influenced by that stuff. But it's in our newspapers. It's in our tabloid magazines. Um, People are like, oh, what's your zodiac sign? And then how does that tell you about who people are? That stuff is all of these ideas of spiritual things that can impact our lives. Another one, superstition. So if you're a baseball player, baseball's got tons of superstitions. Oh, I can't wash my socks all season because then we might lose. And then, you know, baseball, and you'll see this in professional, professional sports. I remember we went and saw the Cincinnati Reds once, and we went and saw them at home. But we found out they were wearing their away jerseys because they had been winning in them and they didn't want to switch. Because if they switched to the home jerseys, they might lose. These are grown men and they, baseball is full of it. I'm sure other things too. And then another one is luck. We talk about luck like it's something that we can have or not have. Something that can benefit us or not benefit us. These are spiritual ideas. And the thing about these ideas is that they somehow are immaterial, meaning we can't see them, but they impact our lives in a way that we need to pay attention to them. And we need to adjust our lives to them, maybe. So as Christians, our job is to think about spiritual things through the lens of the gospel. So this is what Paul says in verse 3. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one who can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So now Paul goes from these cultural ideas, these mute idols that they followed, to talking about the real, living, breathing Spirit of God. He says, by this Spirit... People are not able to curse Jesus, but also by the same Spirit, without it, people can't confess that Jesus is Lord. Now all this simply says is these are two extremes. Someone cursing Jesus and someone saying that Jesus is Lord. So in one extreme, you have to have the Holy Spirit. In one extreme, you can't have the Holy Spirit. The idea is simply that the Holy Spirit empowers people to confess something that is true about the world. But the other thing about this is that Jesus is Lord. That confession isn't just something that you believe. It's an identity that brings people together. Because the Christian people who confessed Jesus and Lord in the first century were saying yes to Jesus and no to all of those other spiritual things. The idols they grew up worshiping, their family gods, their state gods, the gods of their vocation, the gods of their ancestors, 
They were saying no to that and saying yes to Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit brings us together. Horoscopes, luck, superstitions, karma. These are outside forces that aren't personal, that have nothing to do with us, that impact our lives. But what Paul says about the Holy Spirit is that this spirit knows you, comes into you, and empowers you to confess that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit brings us together. So the spiritual world isn't something that's apart from us, but it's something that becomes part of us. Now there's an important thing about the spiritual things that Paul wants us to see. So he continues in verse 4, he says, Therefore, or there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that we all have different gifts and we all have different services and all different workings? That's not his emphasis. His emphasis is simply we have one spirit. Listen, we see it several times. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but all in the same God at work. So another cultural thing about these spirits that the Corinthians grew up with. In the Roman world, there were different gods for everything. There was a god for war. There was a god for peace. There was a god for harvest. There was a god for weather. There was a god for love. And a different god for fertility. And so on and so forth. There was gods for everything. There was also gods for politics. There was gods for carpentry. If you were a butcher, if you did any sort of vocation, there was a god for you. So these different gods had different types of work and they had different kinds of gifts that they gave people. But what Paul says is no, it's the same Holy Spirit who does all of these things. There's not different spirits empowering us as Christians, but there's one spirit that empowers us, the Holy Spirit. Now it might empower each of us, the Holy Spirit might empower each of us in our unique character. So we might do different works, we might have different things that we're good at that we use for the kingdom of God. There might be different ways that we even do things that we never could have done before without the Holy Spirit. But it's still in accordance with who we are as people. The Holy Spirit brings us together because he is one spirit, the spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit empowers us and he does it in our uniqueness. And he does it through each of us. But why is it that we have this Holy Spirit? And Paul continues in verse 7. He says, Now to each one the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So we get this word of manifestation now, which is an odd word. I didn't know much about it. I mean, I, I know manifestation, but it's like one of those very spiritual sounding words. All it simply means is that 
that something was revealed that was at one point not seen. So you could simply say that I've been hiding this behind my back the whole time, and none of you knew it, and all of a sudden you see it. It manifests itself. Now we maybe wouldn't say it that way, but that's what the word means. So to each one, the Holy Spirit is shown for the common good. And now this is when we're together as a community. So the Holy Spirit is shown that he's here. What that means is that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit as a church body. The Holy Spirit brings us together. Now this brings us to a juncture that I think is important to consider. Do we see the Holy Spirit working in our community through us, through us as individuals? As Christians, as Salem Magdalene Church, do we see the Holy Spirit working? Now that's something that I think the answer is yes, but maybe as a body and as individuals, we need to become a little bit more in tuned to where the Holy Spirit is working. And each and every one of our lives, no matter where we're at in our faith walk, So Paul says more about these manifestations in verse 8. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by this, that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distribution between, or distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, into another, the interpretation of tongues. So now we get to that list of spiritual gifts. Now maybe you've heard people talk about these lists and they've said to you, which one do you have? And maybe uh, the one with speaking in tongues is one that people say, we don't have that one. And we're not going to speak in tongues. We don't do that. But the question I think we need to actually ask is, is Paul giving us a list of spiritual gifts or is he simply mentioning examples of things he's known that have happened in the church in Corinth to show them the examples of the Holy Spirit is among them and bringing them together? So while this, I think, is a traditional list, I don't think that this necessarily is all the gifts or even gifts completely. Some of these might be things that were happening because Paul talks a lot about speaking in tongues two chapters later. And he says, maybe you shouldn't try to do that. Maybe you should try to prophesy instead. And this is where things get messy because we say, well, what gifts do we have? What don't we have? Which gifts apply? Which don't apply? But what we think we need to be asking is, does God dwell in people? And the answer, remember, is yes. God comes into us at our baptism. Does the Holy Spirit empower us to do the work of God? Yes. And how does he do that? Through our unique personalities. For the kingdom of God. And does the Holy Spirit give us gifts? I think he does. Maybe some of the gifts mentioned above. Maybe some of the gifts that people identify in other places in the Bible. But maybe we're trying to make it too easy or too simple or too neat by putting them in categories and then trying to take a test to figure out what we have. 
maybe it just takes a little bit more work in our own lives in talking to each other about what we see in one another to see what our gifts are. Because remember, the, the spiritual gifts are there for us as a community, but their purpose is the Holy Spirit brings us together. So if there's divisions in our community and if there's divisions in our lives, the first question we need to ask is, well, what is the Holy Spirit encouraging us to do about those divisions? And how can we heal them through the power of God? The Holy Spirit brings us together. And yes, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. And I would encourage all of you to consider how maybe the Holy Spirit uses you and uses your uniqueness, the way that you're created different than everyone else, for the goodness of the kingdom. Now, I think that can be in ways that we would never think about. We have people here who can do all kinds of things with their hands. I know Kent's made a couple of these things up here. The very first person ever empowered by the Holy Spirit in the Bible was empowered to make things for the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit empowers us in lots of ways to show the glory and goodness of God to build his kingdom. So it's not just about these gifts that we read about that seem like very spiritual and important. There might be things that you do in your life already that God is using to bring the kingdom together. And Paul ends this way. He says in verse 11, All these are the work of the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Again, what's most important isn't what the gifts are, but that they come from the same God. It's not different gods like the culture would have believed. It's one God empowering the people to do his work. The Holy Spirit brings us together. So my encouragement this week is let's, as a congregation and as individuals, start to think about the Holy Spirit and start to pray for God to speak to you. Because the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's how God speaks to all of us. And through the Holy Spirit, God empowers us to do work. And to come together. So this week and in the future, let this be the year where we explore the Holy Spirit. So there's something, would you like to talk about that more? You can talk with me about that. Because I would love, it's something that I'm trying to learn more about. Hearing the voice of God speaking in my life and how the Holy Spirit empowers me. So the Holy Spirit brings us together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and you have empowered us and you've come to dwell in us through your Spirit. You empower us to do your work. You guide us to live lives as you've made us to live. You've marked us and sealed us and given us a sign of your presence. We thank you for the work that you've done and the privilege that we have to be temples of your spirit in the world. Where where we go, people encounter you through us. May you empower us to do that better as a community. May you bring us together as your church through the spirit that dwells in all of us. We ask this all in your son's name.
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.